0: Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from the Globe and Mail. There's been a jump in hate crimes across Canada. Even though overall crime rates went down by 8% in the first year of the pandemic, hate crimes were up by 37% from the previous year. Hate crimes can target someone's race, religion, gender identity, ethnic origin, or physical disability. Any criminal offense found to be motivated by hate can be considered a hate crime. It could be a physical assault, vandalizing a church or a temple, or, in some cases, online harassment. But a Globe and Mail investigation found that when hate crimes are reported to the police, charges are rarely laid. A new task force wants to change that, the goal is to create national standards for police across the country to help with training, better investigating, and solving hate crimes.
1: You know if you, you know, steal something or you assault somebody that there's a higher likelihood that you might get charged. And if you get charged, there's a good likelihood that you get convicted and you might go to jail. So there's a sense of deterrence there. With hate crimes, is nothing.
0: Mohammed Hashim is the executive director of the Canadian Race Relations Foundation. It's a crown corporation dedicated to ending racism and discrimination. Mohammed is co-chairing the task force with the RCMP. He's on the show to tell us how it will work, why this task force needs to exist, and how it fits into the bigger picture of tackling racism in Canada. This is The Decibel. Mohammed, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Do we know why we're seeing such an increase in hate crimes in Canada now?
1: I think there's a number of reasons why we're seeing that increase. One is just political polarization right across the board. You know, there used to be levels of Civility and political discourse that went way out the window when Donald Trump came, and I think that played a major factor in terms of is opening up the space for people to think that they can say much more than they can. And the second thing is uh, social media. Um, the accessibility of hate has gone up so much greater. Hateful content isn't a guy standing at the corner of Young and Dundas handing out leaflets anymore. It's like, you know, hateful content can be found online within three clicks of what you're looking for. So those things I think have been fueling uh, the entire system to be able to have this result now of just increased hate crimes.
0: And you're the executive director of the Canadian Race Relations Foundation. I'm sure you hear a lot of different stories from people across the country. I I just wonder if there's a story that really stands out to you that kind of illustrates what can happen in this sphere.
1: It's hard for me to pick a story because I I get a daily digest of all hateful news clippings every single day, <laughs> so, That's and I read.
0: tough reading, wow.
1: Yeah, it's my first thing in the morning. I just read all the racist incidents that have been reported in the news every day. But you know, just one thing personally, I you know, Ramadan is coming up in about a week or so. I was really excited, <laughs> to be frank, because like it's the first time we're gonna get back into the mosque. I'm going to see my friends, and yes, also, you know, eat and pray. And I was just reading a news article two days ago where, you know, in St. John's, Newfoundland, which probably has one of the tiniest Muslim communities, you know, they had a hateful incident where there was a guy in the mosque and somebody started egging it and vandalizing it and throwing garbage on it. And the man was just completely shook. And the article two days ago was somebody saying that they were afraid to take their kids to the mosque. And, you know, keeping your kids from going to the mosque, especially during Ramadan, is cruel because like, it's a moment of joy for the community and that's being denied for people because of fear. Mm. And what does that say about our country when we're taking people's joy away and we're taking the opportunity for kids to connect with kids?
0: How often do these incidents occur in Canada?
1: Yeah, so this is where there's a huge level of disparity. So Statistics Canada uh, reports from their, I think it was their general social uh, survey, on victimization about 223,000 uh, incidences, out of which about 130,000 are reported as violent. But then how many actually get reported to the police? Around two to 3,000, give or take what year it is.
0: So that's a dramatic difference from that number to 2,000.
1: So that's the thing. So when people go to the police, are they saying it's hate motivated? If they're saying it's hate motivated, is the officer writing down that it's hate motivated or are they are they not? And if they're writing it down in the report, is it then getting flagged to the hate crimes unit to investigate or not? Uh, I was talking to one of the hate crimes investigators out west and he was saying that they've created a system now. Where you know all the reports that come through, they do a scan of them and see whether or not there's any keywords around racism or hatred, and then the, from that, the hate crimes investigators pull out the cases that they think could be hate-related. Sixty percent of their caseload comes from that pullout, versus the officer who took the report sending an email to the hate crimes unit to say, hey this happened, you should know about it. Hmm. So there's a disconnect between what's happening on the front line and within hate crimes investigative units.
0: Mohammed, you're co-chairing a new task force with the RCMP now to, to look at how hate crimes in Canada are investigated. What exactly is this task force and what's it aiming to do?
1: So the task force is an intergovernmental task force. We are bringing together people who are hate crimes investigators victim service uh, experts statistics and hate crimes reporting experts crown prosecutors and as well as you know people who are looking for legislative changes because what hasn't happened is a cross governmental approach towards hate crimes so part of it is to actually first you know bring the right people together create a network of best practices from that create standards in order for people to be able to use hate crime units across the country. You know, when I talk to police services, you know, some of them have been doing this for a long time. Many of them are just waking up to it now. I think that, you know, London Police Service, where there was four people killed last year, have just created a unit of one person where they're still trying to fill that role.
0: And you're, you're referencing London, Ontario, where a family was hit by a vehicle last year and killed.
1: Four people were killed. Yeah, so I think that when I look at police services, and I hear this from from some people, and that you know, hate crimes is more about, well, you know, people's feelings are getting hurt, and that the impact is not as harsh as it is for like violent crime or drugs or murders, which you know takes up a lot more resourcing, and therefore people haven't paid much attention to hate crimes in a real way. So this task force is to elevate the conversation in importance, create some standards for investigatory methodology, for training, for the information that people receive. All of those different practices need to be looked at right across the country.
0: And so after this standard is, is set that you mentioned here, Mohammed, how will police be accountable for following those standards? What happens after this point, I guess?
1: So, I mean, there's about 180 police jurisdictions across this country. So, each of them runs with their own, you know, boards, different uh, accountability methodology. It is really up to each police force to be able to figure out how they can do it best themselves. It's like the federal government telling each municipality that you shall do this. And municipalities are not going to be able to do that.
0: The Globe did uh, an investigation that found a majority of hate crimes across the country. Charges aren't being laid in these incidents. Do, do we know, I guess, why this isn't happening?
1: Uh, first of all, I think I, I want to give kudos to, to Mike Hagar for doing that excellent reporting around hate crimes. I think it's going to spark a national conversation that's much needed and overdue. Hate crime investiga- like charges have been abysmally low and convictions are even lower. Like the level of deterrence is so little that it's almost negligible. You know if you, you know, steal something or you assault somebody that there's a higher likelihood that you might get charged. And if you get charged, there's a good likelihood that you get convicted and you might go to jail. So there's a sense of deterrence there. With hate crimes is nothing.
0: Would charging someone with hate crime would that actually deter other people from committing hate crimes,
1: though? I think it creates precedences the more you define what hate looks like. And therefore, more police officers and crown prosecutors know what to charge on. The more jurisprudence that's created on it, it just opens up the space for there to be both self-correction in the system, but also for other prosecutions to happen.
0: A majority of hate incidents happen to people that that do belong to racialized communities. And a lot of these communities, too, can already have a a contentious relationship with the police and, and a distrust in the police for various legitimate reasons. So I guess the question here is, are police really best suited to tackle
1: hate crimes? They have to. It's not about them being the best or not. They definitely are a piece of this puzzle. Um, but I totally agree with you. I, I mean, we've heard this from indigenous communities, from black communities again and again. And no, not everybody is going to go to the police.
0: Mohammed, you, you actually have a, a personal experience in reporting an incident to the police. Are you comfortable telling me about that?
1: Sure. I mean, I've spoken about this a number of times. There was a man who had made a video where he said, and he put up my face on it and said, wouldn't you like to take a, a hammer and smash his face? And um, and this is a person who has been charged with hate crimes, with hate speech. He's been in the news around this. And so I took that and I went to the police to say, this is a problem. What are you going to do about it? And they said, well, you know, we don't think this matches any thresholds that, that we can do anything about it. We're happy to go over to him and say, don't do this. This is a problem. But to be frank, if we do that, he'll just make more videos about you, because he knows he's going to get away with it anyways. And that made me think, it's like, wow. So there's really a, a, impunity for saying that to me in the eyes of the law. And you know, this is a, a number of years ago. But
0: that really illustrates the issue you've been talking about, though. This is why we're, we're seeing these numbers of things not actually moving through the system then. Totally.
1: It's part of the motivation why we're doing this work.
0: And that, that being said, what do you say to people who, who do think the role of police should be minimized? If we're talking about this conversation around defunding the police, are there any other options?
1: I mean, I think like the defunding the police campaign uh, is an incredibly important one. And um, it's an honest reaction to disappointment long held and deserved because of police brutality An action undoubtedly like that exists. But I also think that we need to change the way police services are interacting. The justice system, it's not that we can tear it all down and start from the beginning all over again. We need to figure out a way to fix it. I think that everybody has a role to address hate.
0: I want to ask you about your role with the the Canadian Race Relations Foundation because when when you did come to the helm, you talked about moving away from talking about racism to, to actually fixing it. How do you do that?
1: There's no silver bullet, obviously. But for us, it's about looking at systems. We're doing some work on with municipalities because to be frank, every municipality has now passed solidarity statements on George Floyd and uh, now figuring out that the residents are are now holding them to account to that and are now thinking about how do we do anti-racism work in a more intentional way. Do we create a unit? Do we not? So there's been some good practices, some bad practices, and some horrible practices, and some amazing practices. So what we're doing is working with the Federation of Canadian Municipalities to bring those voices together to figure out what works and what doesn't work, create some standards and some opportunities to network in that environment. Um, We're going to be working on employment equity because I think that when you look at the you know, Blackness in Canada survey, 96% of black Canadians said that they have had racist incidences in their workplace. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. we got to fix that. So for us, it's looking at what are the systems that are creating racist outcomes and tackling them with a sense of systemic change. Mm-hmm. And that's honestly one of the benefits that we have as a foundation. We're a federal crown corporation, so we can we can access intergovernmental stuff that community organizations can't. And we're leveraging that. Hmm. But like, it's going to take all of society's uh, approach by many different actors. And we're just trying to cut a little piece of that pie for us and looking at some of the systems things that, that our small little team can tackle.
0: A lot of this work takes a long time. It's, it's something that you measure over over years. Is there anything, though, tangible that you'd like to see and that you think is possible to see change in the next, in the next year or so?
1: I wanna see online hate legislation. I think that like, the level of hate that's being created online is like drinking from a fire hose and it's accelerating. I don't think that online hate legislation is gonna come into play and then all of a sudden the tap is closed, but we need to start decelerating that environment. And I think that if we don't do any interventions against online hate, a fire hose right now will be a tsunami later. I think that because we're living more and more online and if we're going to create laws that are going to govern Nathan Phillips Square in Toronto, then we've got to create laws that, that govern the meeting spaces online too.
0: The Liberal government has said that they are making uh, legislation that, that covers that a priority. So, so we'll see. We'll see if that comes down in the next few months. Mohammed, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: That's it for today. I'm Mainika Raman-Wilms. Rose Danan is our intern. Ali Graham helped edit this episode. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pacenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.